In my early uh, in my uh, early days, I got to work with a uh, with a fellow at uh, Deloitte Haskins and Sells at the time, uh, who was a uh, who was an engineer, and he was also Ward One alderman. And uh, so, a lot of real estate guys like working with him because he knew tax, he knew engineering, and he knew all of the zoning roles in uh, downtown. And he he ended up being my mentor. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of the Refine Real Estate Podcast. It's Manny here, and I'm with my co-host Janelle and our honored guest today, Andrew Murphy. We are real estate investors in Halifax. Combined, we've done over 40 units, and that's just me and Janelle and Ian. We haven't even gotten to Andrew yet, but we've flipped houses, wholesaled, and much more. And also, Ian and Janelle are mortgage brokers with the Blake Wilson Group. In today's episode, like I said, we have Andrew Murphy with us. We're going to talk about his his history, his journey in real estate and also some hot topics. You guys will see what I'm talking about. But before we get into it, don't forget to like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're listening on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, please be kind and give us a five-star rating. If you want to get in touch with us, we're all active on Instagram. You can find us at the Refined Real Estate Nova Scotia. Refined Real Estate NS on Instagram or our personal Instagram. First off, before we get into it, what's going on, guys? Anything new? Nothing, nothing too new. Yeah, nothing, nothing new at all. <laughs> <laughs> nothing new. Still the same problems. Same problems. Uh, <laughs> I guess we can get right into it then, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah. so my name is Andrew Murphy. I grew up in Halifax and have spent my career here. I, I went to Dalhousie and I took, I took a degree in finance. I got an honors degree in finance and graduated in 1982. Yeah, so I graduated in 1982 from, uh, from a, uh, a class with seven students. So now if you go to Dow and take finance, there's probably two or three hundred. So I was an early finance guy. And um, and then after a couple of years, I got into uh, becoming a chartered accountant. Uh, so what I do now is I'm a CPA chartered accountant. I've got a private practice with a bunch of clients. And then I do a fair amount of work uh, on my own real estate What's deals. What's the name of your company? Andrew J. Murphy, CPACA, Inc. Perfect. Too easy. Yeah, and uh, in my early uh, in my uh, early days, I got to work with a uh, with a fellow at uh, Deloitte Haskins and Sells at the time, uh, who was a uh, who was an engineer, and he was also Ward One alderman. And uh, so, a lot of real estate guys like working with him because he knew tax, he knew engineering, and he knew all of the zoning roles in uh, downtown. And he he ended up being my mentor. So early on, I did a fair amount of real estate work in Halifax in the early '80s. Yeah, and then uh, had always uh, had always got uh, got to travel more maybe than the next guy, and would continually wonder why stuff I'd seen in other cities wasn't being done here. So um, so eventually, uh, eventually, I bought a building down on Goddard Street uh, when Goddard Street was really on the ropes. So this was 30, 33 years ago, and most of the storefronts were boarded up. Uh, Halifax was was continuing to de- depopulate out to the suburbs. Probably not like the Gottage and Street that we see today with all the new builds. And- no, it was not like the Gottage and Street at all of the new days. So I, I, I was able to buy a 30,000 square foot furniture warehouse from the original Gluby family. And I sat on it for a while and then uh, and now I'm in the process of converting it to... Uh, Approximately 50 units. So it was uh, it was on 22,000 square feet of land, and uh, with the center plan, it's just been it's been more and more enhanced with it, with uh, increased assessment or uh, development capacity. So the back parking lot went from the ability to build three little 1,200 square foot uh, townhouses to be able to do a nine-story apartment building. So things have changed down in Cottage, and uh, now what else about Cottage? Yeah. 
And I think the story of Steve told it to me of how you purchase that building, if you want to just touch on that and how you got the financing for it, because the financing for it is a lot different than it might look today, I would say. Yeah, so um, I had uh, I had had the luck to go to school with the grandson of the founder of the Gloobies Furniture Store Chain. So Gloobies, years ago, there were seven stores across Nova Scotia, and it was the it was the biggest furniture outlet east of Quebec City. And the, the, the family had sold that business a number of years before, but not the property on Gottage Street, because literally nobody wanted it. Even though it's about a 10-minute walk from City Hall uh, at the most, it, it was quite quite a depressed area at one time. And uh, so the family gave me a 100% mortgage on it. I didn't have to put a nickel down. And uh, and eventually, I was able to buy it. And at the time, would you have, and still now, would you have referred to that as a vendor take-back? Yeah, it was, originally, we had a quite elaborate lease-to-purchase deal with uh, with options to buy at different times for different amounts of money. And then finally, after a few years, the, 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 uh, it still hadn't improved. They just they just said, well, it's time to buy it, Andrew. And I did. <laughs> so when you purchased it, did you have any tenants in there at all? Or was it empty? Like, what was the it state? It was empty. So there was 15,000 square feet of empty retail space. Wow. And there were... Uh, there was there was about ten thousand square feet of uh, storage lockers, and over the years we we put a lot of things into that building. At one point, we had ten thousand square feet of uh, band practice space. We okay. had artist studios. We did those things you do with a big old building in the middle of of the city. That that certainly we knew there was no tenant to take a big 10,000 square foot chunk of it. There was a used furniture store there for a while. And then humorously, uh, for the first year, I had my accounting office in a 10,000 square foot room. So my clients had to walk all the way across to where my desk was. And I claimed that I had the biggest single-sized uh, uh, accounting office for a sole practitioner in Canada, which I probably did. Okay, I didn't realize that because I guess in my, my mind, I'd envisioned you purchasing it and then renovating it and turning it into what is now residential units. But I, I didn't realize that that's how you're covering the, the mortgage payments back then. Is the yeah, so, um, so I'm actually a pretty cautious real estate investor. Um, so real estate, unfortunately, is is sometimes not so good for the first person. So uh, it's a bit like the, uh, the First World War where the first guy out of the trench is not what you want to be. <laughs> and uh, so I actually waited in my neighborhood until theater loft started and um, uh, spice lofts and, and a few other uh, developments. The other thing that was interesting uh, years ago was Goddard Street was in what was called a red circled area. So because it was so run down, uh, the banks would not loan in that area. And uh, so I, I'm the guy that did the six col brightly colored uh, townhouses on Cornwall Street across from Vandal Donuts. And we had to finance those two at a time. And because they were in a red circled area, and I had a really, really good relationship with a guy from the Royal Bank at the time. And I remember phoning him up and I said to him, Luke, I got one more great client for you. And he said, who? I said, me. And, uh, and I could hear him gulp. And he said, well, how much do you need? And I said, well, two and a half million to build the whole thing. He said, can you break it down? And so I broke it down to two at once. And it just came under his limit that he could approve. And it didn't have to go to Toronto because it had gone to Toronto. It, there would be no way they would lend there because it yeah. was that inner city neighborhood. That and I think, and that's a 
something that's really important, I think, for a lot of people who are just getting into real estate now. Like their concept of like what a red zone is probably just doesn't even exist. I don't think that exists anymore, yeah. and for good reason. Uh, yeah. Some some of that was racist, and you, it was across the country in different areas, and it was really really dumb. Yeah, <laughs> it kept areas from being developed. Yeah, and 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 just uh, kept on uh, a, a, a bad thing. Somewhat of a tribute to like how times change, I would say. Yeah, and the uh, and I know exactly when it changed. So we did we did. Uh, three deals in a row, and uh, on the third one, uh, I got a call from a guy from Toronto at the at the check at the credit thing, and he goes, "Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, you're Andrew Murphy. Okay, uh, you're the guy. You're the guy with the deal we're doing on Young Street. No, no, Young Avenue. No, no, it's Cornwallis. And I knew there wasn't a red circle because he didn't know the difference between Young Street and Young Avenue, and he had never been to Halifax, mm-hmm. and the deal went through, sailed through." Perfect. Like it should have. So um, yeah. So what we did, what we did was we we we've done it in phases, and uh, so we're now on our uh, third phase that we're doing, and there's a fourth phase in the parking lot because that got that got like I said zoned from from six units to to a nine story building. And then just to understand the timeline of it, so you purchased it around 1990. And yep. then you had it leased out to different, I suppose you want to call them commercial tenants or yourself for office space. Or yeah, it was uh, it was um, it was always little tenants. So yeah. at, at one time, um, at one time, Halifax was known as the Seattle of the East, and it had all these bands like uh, Sloan and uh, uh, you know all the ones that that were from here, and they were all practicing down in my basement. So it was kind of fun. And, then and at one point, at some point in time, you started renovating it and turning it into residential units as well as developing the townhouses on Cornwallis Street. Yeah, we did the townhouses first. Okay, did the townhouses first and then yeah. developed your building into 19 units, is it? Yeah, okay. it would be 21, say. Yeah, Yeah, and they're beautiful. Right they're really nice. Yeah, and the uh, so what, what we did was called adaptive reuse. So adaptive reuse is when you take an old building and you and you make it into something else that it wasn't intended to from the start. And so... Uh, so I'd been, uh, I, you know, I've been to lots of places in the world, and you know, in, in in lots of places other than Halifax, they'll take an old warehouse or an old factory building and make it into lofts. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and there 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 are two kinds of lofts. There are what are known as hard lofts, which have which are original industrial buildings, and then there are soft lofts. And the soft lofts, uh, my neighbor on Gottingen Street, uh, theater lofts, is a soft loft. It's a loft, but everything's new. Mm-hmm. And in my building, there are uh, there are elements that we intentionally leave left exposed. So if you go in the courtyard, my thing, there's an old gnarly uh, masonry wall that's exposed, and we would never cover that up because yeah. that's a big feature, saying this is an old building. Yeah. And we've got um, we've got great big Douglas fir beams inside of it, and uh, and we uh, yeah we've incorporated those incorporated those into the design. Perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And then yeah, so you I know you wanted to talk about. A little bit of your background. Is there any other parts like your background? So there was there was one story I remember that was funny. I I thought was um, I was renting in early in the early days to somebody who was from Toronto, and it was probably was a student. And there's lots of students from Toronto here. And he was phoning his dad, and he he was saying to uh, his dad, you know, I've been looking for an apartment all week, and this is the first one I like. It's just like out of Dwell magazine, and there's nothing else like it here. So in Halifax, we have got lots of boring apartments. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. You know, they're 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 architecturally from the outside not well done, and inside they're they're cookie cutter. And uh, yeah, so it's been fun to be creative with these units. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I guess if we don't mind transitioning, sure. I'd love to hear your take on rent control. Now, I, I you've already given us presentations, so I already know your take. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So. Uh, so rent control, uh, rent control is an unfortunate thing. So, and and uh, I believe you guys have the slide so we can show the difference between new apartment formation in Toronto and in Halifax. Um, but uh, rent control suppresses the construction of new buildings. And so what it does is it very quickly, uh, it very quickly uh, uh, slows down the rate of new construction. So it makes the problem worse. And... Um, there's a joke I like to tell. So there was there was some construction workers outside of my building, one of my buildings down the south end, and and they were uh, smoking and having their morning coffee under the trees next to my building, and they uh, they would um, they would um, they would leave the trash there. So I went out and made friends with them, and they 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 respected the property and started cleaning up after themselves. And and one day I walked out and I said to them, "Listen, guys, I I would like this weekend for you to work for me." And instead of working eight hours, I want you to work 12 hours. And instead of instead of getting paid what you normally get paid, I want to pay you exactly half what the guy is paying you in the building across the street. And they kind of laughed nervously. And they said, uh, well, why would we ever do that? And I said, look, I'm just joking. I'm just trying to explain to you how rent control works. So when you have a shortage of something, reducing the price to the provider of it is not a good idea. So... Uh, the other problem with rent control is is the intended target gets outcompeted. So, so what we're trying to do is help people in our community that don't have money to afford a really expensive new apartment. But what happens with rent control is the landlord tends to, to rent to the most creditworthy person. So it's misdirected. You have uh, a shortage of apartments, and and the richest people get them. And I, I remember years ago. So years ago, my family had a, 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 an apartment building, a four-unit building on English Street that I looked after for a while. And it was, you know, two doors up from the Resolute Club there on English. And I would put a single ad in the Herald. They hadn't invented the Internet yet. And, uh, and I would uh, wake up at around 10.30 on Saturday morning, having gone out the night before. And between waking up and going to brunch with my friends, I would take about 40 calls. And then... Maybe thirty people, thirty people would be in a lineup. And I remember one time distinctively walking through. So I was a Berkeley student in downtown Halifax at a CA firm, and I saw a guy I recognized. And I said, "I've seen you around." And he said, "Yeah, I'm a second year, uh, uh, I'm a second year lawyer at Stuart McKelvey." And I said, "Do you want this apartment? It's yours," because I knew I would get paid. Mm-hmm. So, so rent controls, uh, rent controls. We can do better than rent controls. Uh, what we've really got to do is we've got to build an awful lot more apartments. And uh, um, and we need an effective system to 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 allocate those rank those apartments that are subsidized to the right person. Yeah. And uh, and so there there have been oversupplies of real estate in in Halifax lots of times before. So a good example is the office supply downtown. So we would go from not having enough office, and then the market would come in and pile in an excess, and that drove the price down. Mm-hmm. And so that's what we need now. We need to we need to build a lot more apartments, and uh, uh, reducing the price for them is 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 going to help in the short run, perhaps, but in the long run, it'll make it way worse. And how 
does rent control affect the development of new properties? It, it suppresses the price for them. So, And it also makes it not as attractive a long-term investment. So uh, the trick of, of restricting increases in rent to 2% in a world where inflation became 8% and the cost of power and the cost of fuel oil went up and uh, insurance, insurance, water, and water, everything. Yeah. So, so what you want to worry about is that the is that the investors in your community say, well, why would I bother building an apartment building and having to deal with tenants and so on and so forth? Yeah. Why don't I just buy Royal Bank stock? Yeah. I'll make more money and it's less hassle. And so that's what. It, so what what the problem is is the housing sector is competing for capital with every other sector in Canada. Yeah. 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 It's a tough situation that we have here. And then throw on everything else, all the other difficulty or like challenges that, that are associated with being a realtor in, in Nova Scotia. And yeah. yeah, it's definitely, it's not incentivizing for larger developers because those are the people who are making the biggest splash with things. Like those are the ones who are truly moving the needle. Of course, like we have um, smaller investors who are maybe adding a unit here or there, duplex or triplex or whatever it might be. But the people who are building, you know, the hundred plus units, like the dis disincentivizing those groups of people is it's very yeah, it's not not a good idea, and and uh, no, nowhere can you really expect. So we've got this affordable housing crisis now. It's the worst that's that Halifax has seen since the Second World War, um, and so we, you know, so now we have people living in tents, and that's not what's supposed to happen. What you're supposed to do in a socialized democracy like Canada is you're supposed to tax rich people to provide for poor people. Um, so what, what's happening now is is they're not taxing people uh, and they're not building enough houses. So there were times like after the war and after the Halifax explosion, they built a whole bunch of houses and they concentrated on it and it was a government effort. And we probably need that again. Mm -hmm. uh, expecting uh, landlords to, to create... Um, Affordable housing is probably unrealistic. Is unrealistic. So, um, and then, and then we've seen, uh, you know, we've seen this uh, this shuffling of responsibility. So the province, uh, the province is supposed to provide it, but the richest area in Halifax is uh, is Halifax in Eastern Canada, and the city the city contribution to affordable housing has been almost nil. Um, uh, Maybe they've they've uh, they've voted uh, three or four million dollars of support for affordable housing, which is about twelve dollars a household. Yeah. And this is in a in a city where a year and a half ago, in the in the run up of real estate prices, probably everybody was up ninety thousand dollars in value uh, on average, and that ninety thousand dollars will never be taxed by the feds or the province because it's mostly people's personal residences, and and because of our capped assessment system, the city won't get any more. Uh, uh, property tax out of those houses. So we've got this paradox where people are getting richer and richer with their houses and there's no mechanism to share that wealth with uh, with the people in tents. So you think, I agree with you, the government needs to have a, a responsibility here yeah. to build houses or apartments like, you That's know, right. at scale. But do you think they have the capacity? Do you think they're capable of doing it? Yeah, I think they're capable of doing it. So how you would do it... Um, and I'm going to use I'm going to use an example of a building from my neighborhood, which not everybody's going to know. Uh, so on, on Cornwall Street, across from the probably the best ice cream store in Eastern Canada, which is Dee Dee's, is is a 1960s built apartment building called Gordon B. Eisner Manor. 
My grandmother lives there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, you're not going to like what I'm going to say. <laughs> I know. You told me. You yeah. So what I'd like to see happen yeah. is the government should do a 100-year land lease on the surface-level parking behind that. So where those cars are parked has been rezoned to, to be a nine-story apartment building. And the government owns the land. So if you if you look at the, the latest waterfront development deals, um, the, 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 the nice building called the Canard, the Jim Spatz, is building. Jim Spatz is a well-established, high-quality uh, Nova Scotia uh, uh, um, uh, developer. Uh, so he, he 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 was not able to buy that land. He has to lease it from the government. Mm-hmm. So if uh, if the government would put a tender up for the Gordon B. Eisner uh, lot and say to the tender person, "Look, we're going to put some money on on this thing, but you got to you know we're going to take twenty percent of the units for affordable units." Um, and, and and the lease payment, rather than that go to reduce my taxes or reduce my property taxes, if that is dedicated to continuing to maintain affordable housing units, then that would be a solution. Mm-hmm. So and then and then to add in, if the province supported this and it's their responsibility to do housing, they can borrow at an incredibly low rate. Before interest rates went up, they could get fifteen year money at one point two percent, which was point eight percent below inflation. So if we got it organized with developers that are good, are, are good at building, we could we could start to, um, to 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 counter this problem. But yeah. we need we need to tax people who are here, and we need to we need to get going with a real plan. Yeah, I think a lot of people who are listening probably like tax us more. I don't know, um, but I yeah. guess taxing in an efficient way or utilizing that money in an efficient. Yeah, way. Yeah, well, we could do a whole session on tax reform. Yeah, <laughs> we won't get into yeah. that right now. No. I, I did want to touch super briefly on something that you mentioned to us during the presentations that you've done. Um, you were explaining, I think you were explaining like why there's so many cranes in Halifax and why there's so much development going on at one point in time. Anyway, um, and you were highlighting the fact of immigration into Nova Scotia and how that has affected everything. Yeah, so so what I, what I want to talk to a little talk about a little bit is overall patterns of settlement, how that affects things in the long run. And you, you two are both you know, really young compared to myself, but you're you're getting you're starting to invest in real estate around when I did in my in my life uh, stage, and and so if you look at overall patterns, uh, and uh, if you look at a map of Halifax, the year I was born, it's amazing how concentrated it was. Everybody everybody lived on the peninsula, so there's no Clayton Park, there's no Burnside. There's no Bedford. There's no Sackville. There is no sprawl. Um, so uh, Halifax at that point was maybe 130,000 people. 110,000 of them lived on the peninsula. And the peninsula actually depopulated from that down into around 70,000. So people moved outwards into into suburbs. And they did that all over North America. And so, uh, so what I was able to do was go in and buy uh, my two buildings I have, it, when the core of the city was somewhat depressed, and and it was a good buy then. So now what's happening is we're starting to urbanize. So people want to live downtown. There's a lot of young people that don't have children and uh, and like to be able to go to a cafe and see their friends. Um, young people now are, are not so reliant on automobiles. Like I don't. Do you have an automobile? I do. Yeah. You do. Yeah. yeah we're, okay. We were just talking Both? about this earlier. Yeah, yeah. But Manny, we, before we started recording, Manny was saying how he didn't get you did not get your license until you were twenty. So I was twenty because I didn't need it. Yeah, you didn't. Need, buses yeah. everywhere. Buses everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, 
So people people often ask me, you know, where, where should I buy real estate? And right now, I don't know exactly where because, uh, but um, um, I, I remember after uh, real estate got expensive in Halifax's North End, there were still great deals in downtown Dartmouth and and in Dartmouth itself. Um, I remember going to to Hamilton, uh, which is a good example of a town that became depressed up in Ontario, and. Uh, uh, I was downtown, and it rained, and there was this great big uh, uh, six- or seven-story department store downtown, and the water flowed out of the doors because the roof was leaking so bad. And I went back there 10 or 12 years later, and it was gleamingly uh, renovated. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember, and so what I do when I go to conferences at places, in places like Winnipeg or, or Hamilton, or I was at a conference this weekend in uh, in Ottawa, is I ask people, what what is the worst neighborhood within... Uh, a twenty-minute drive of this place in, in Ottawa. It's it, it's across the river in uh, in Gatineau, which is uh, Hull, and in Gatineau you can see abandoned buildings, and it's so close to Ottawa, which is very prosperous. It has to spread there sometime. So there's some gimmies like that, and what you got to do is you got to have the staying power. If it takes an extra ten years, then you got to be able to, to hang in there, and uh, so you don't want to be you don't want to be uh, hanging out uh, on the edge uh, financing wise. But those are those are areas that'll pick up presumably. Have the guts to deal with neighborhoods like that. It, yeah, it's easy to say like go by there, um, but yeah, have have the guts to be able to deal with it as well yeah. because it comes with its own unique set of problems. It does, yeah. So if you if you go to any city, uh, you drive in and and when you can see artists, the artists are the stormtroopers of gentrification, is the way the expression goes, and so they they go they go to an area. Because it's cheap, and they want their studios and things. Exact same thing happened in my area. In fact, I was I had artist studios mm-hmm. and 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 band studios, and so they come and they start, you know, they start hanging out in the local cafes. They make it cool. I was just gonna say they make it cool. <laughs> and then other people come. Yeah, and uh, uh, so in 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 Halifax, uh, you know, we would we would have to get the city to be proactive. But if the city rezoned Spryfield to allow five to seven story apartment buildings in some of those residential neighborhoods, it, it could transform into a really cool place yeah. because it's a, it, it's pretty much a complete community now. There's grocery stores, there's starting to be restaurants and places to eat. And What's the height limit now? Because I've seen some, quite a few buildings. 35 feet. 35 feet. That's mostly. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So it's mostly, it's mostly anti-apartment. Yeah, and uh, they're still developing. They're still building those. They're building. They're starting to build them. But there's there's a new one going. There's two new ones that are wooden that have been built in the last six or eight months. They're not completed, but they're they're only four stories. Wow, what a travesty! Yeah, it's right on a bus line. Should be, yeah. And uh, so you know, and then and then occasionally people will say, well, what kind of a city do you like? And uh, the center plan was an interesting period for us because we debated what kind of city we want. And the debate is between uh, a mid-height city, uh, which would be a city like Copenhagen uh, or Paris, and a tall city like Vancouver. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I like the mid-height city. Uh, people, uh, if you live in a 30-story building, you are not going to know your neighbor. If you live in a five- or six-story building, you'll often make relationships within your building. You, you are not going to walk up to your 27th apartment, floor apartment, but in a four or five story, you can work that into your fitness regime and, and, and take the stairs. Um, uh, Halifax, 
I love Halifax as much or more than anybody else, but it's a miserable place to be for about four or five months a year. It's cold, it's wet, it's rainy, it's snowy. So why would you want more wind and more uh, and more shade, which comes with tall buildings? You probably, we could build this place out to a mid-range thing. The other thing that's interesting about, about really tall buildings and smaller buildings is who owns them. So we're, we're talking about making as many as seven 30-story towers at Mumford Road in one of those shopping malls. And that, that, that development will not be owned by anybody from here. It's too big. Yep. So for us, yeah. So once that's built for a hundred years, all of the rent for all of those apartments will go out of our community. And it's, you know, it may be a dumb way to, to do it. So a mid height building tends to be, tends to be a building built by local developers. Yeah. You want it to be a little bit more self-sustained, I suppose, in a way. Yeah. You want, you want to generate your own, uh, your own uh, economic activity in your own community. So the bigger families that are local, that's too big of a project? No, yeah, but the, the thing that's interesting about those bigger families, if you go back, they didn't start with big buildings like that. They, they started with small buildings, and they made a bit of money, and they're from here. So they're developing here and continuing to to develop and, 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 and enhance our community. So <clears throat> I don't know who owns that shopping center, uh, but I think it's the Ontario uh, Pension Fund, Teachers, Union, Teachers yeah. Union. So all of that money, all all of the good, and real estate, is real estate a good investment? In 100 years, will those be worth more? Oh, my God, yeah. Yes, undoubtedly. Undoubtedly. So why, and and, and the, the city of Halifax, so the other thing to talk about is 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 how do you, how do you value uh, uh, sites um, that, that sell uh, where you're going to wreck down the original building and build something new? Well, you sell it based on the developable foot. And now we've got lots of lots of properties that have been sold and, and are going to be demolished or have been demolished. And one of the highest ones that I know of is the Ralston building on Hall Street, which was a great big building that the tax uh, department used to be there years ago. And uh, and it was just sold maybe a year or so ago, and it set the bar at $95 per developable foot. So so by the time they rezone those properties for the Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, they're going to give them hundreds of millions of dollars of development capacity, and they won't have required them to do anything like affordable housing or anything. So it's they could they could sharpen their pencils a little bit, I think. Um, yeah. So. Uh, um, Did you have any? So that that covers off the overall patterns nicely, and where to where where to look around. Uh, do we want to talk about the Airbnb stuff? Yeah, let's, let's touch on it. Let's we, do it yeah. we, we did one quick episode on it, but we'd love to hear your yeah, opinion. Yeah, because you know you may put that in a future one. Um, so we've had a we've had a big debate on Airbnb, and uh, uh, which culminated four or five weeks ago in the banning of Airbnb in residential neighborhoods. And uh, <clears throat> um, on the surface, Airbnb looks like it's bad. It looks like it. it you, you take units out of the rental pool, and you. Um, and you uh, you have, you rent them to tourists instead of people who live here. The problem the problem is that uh, it kind of ignores uh, the one single defining factor of Halifax and why Halifax Peninsula particularly is different from any other real estate market in Canada. And the reason is is the concentration of students in Halifax. There might be 110 or 120 thousand people on the peninsula. At least 20 thousand of them are students. So, uh, yeah, sure, the University of Toronto has more students than Dalhousie, but they don't live in as concentrated an area. Uh, 
So, so what we have, and it's, it's different from when I went to Dalhousie. So now there's a higher percentage of people coming from outside of Nova Scotia going to Dalhousie and St. Mary's and the other colleges. Um, <clears throat> and uh, so two thirds of the people that go to Dalhousie aren't from here. And two-thirds of them don't want to be here in the summer. A great compromise for Airbnb rules would have been to allow people to rent to students in the winter and tourists in the summer. So instead, what will happen is uh, is uh, you're not going to be allowed to do that in residential neighborhoods. So uh, it's going to make it uh, more expensive for students. They're going to have to rent apartments all year long rather than just for eight months. I know that was what I went to Dell back in 2012, 2013. It was always an issue, always an issue yeah. of uh, finding a place and renting it for the year. And it's like, what do I do with it for the summer? I'm not going to be here. I'm planning on going home to work anyway. Um, and then I just always remember like posting, like looking for a sublet, looking to sublet, looking to sublet. Yeah. Um, but if there was the option to do an eight month rental and um, I definitely think I can speak for my mom here. If she could have saved moving six, five, six kids to Halifax from Sydney and carrying beds and furniture, she definitely would have opted for a furnished apartment. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I right. can definitely assure you that's the case. Yeah. Um, but if that was more of a service being offered, I think I think a lot of people would have taken it, would have loved to have that option. Yeah, and I, j- I joke around that that if there's one thing that we learned in Halifax during the pandemic is that we can we can close all the universities we did for a year and a half. So if we made that permanent uh, and all those professors sold their houses and moved to Waterloo or Kingston, uh, that would be one thing. If we ban tourism completely, uh, which sounds crazy uh, because it is, uh, then, uh, then um, that would also do a big hit to our economy. And and uh, what's what's happening now? At the at the hearing on Air, on Airbnb, they had a guy from Destination Halifax, Ross Jefferson, and he estimated that there would be a hit to the tourism industry in Halifax of between thirty and seventy million dollars a year. Um, and uh, and th- there's really no no consideration of that. They never considered allowing seasonal uh, Airbnbs to correspond with our demand for students. Yeah, yeah, I never really considered that like some sort of like hybrid option. Yeah, and even in the the restrictions on Airbnbs that they brought in, how do you think that's going to affect like the affordable housing supply? So uh, I, I think I think it's not going to affect affordable housing supply. What it's going to do is it's going to reduce the income of the landlords that we're doing it seasonally, and a lot of landlords I know are crazy. They make some money in real estate and they put it all back in for more. So if you reduce the, the amount that those guys make in the absence of any, any effective government program to, to stimulate building, it's going to be negative. And, uh, and so if we look at the North End, there's a whole bunch of really good restaurants, cafes, coffee shops in the North End. And they, they were attracting uh, uh, tourists, particularly in the summer. So one of the, th- one of the things I knew, I know, you know, we, we, we have a large seasonal Airbnb business in my operation. We do about 12 of them in the summer. We go down to two. Next winter, we're going to go down to one Airbnb. So it's a myth that there is a winter Airbnb market. There is no winter market. So you're far better off renting to students in the winter and you miss one good month of Airbnb and and you 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 uh, you don't have to suffer through five or six months of terrible Airbnb uh, occupancy. Yeah. So, and then just to clarify, too, you're doing Airbnb. One of 
reasons that you or the reason that you can still do it even after um, the changes because you're commercial commercially zoned. Yeah. Okay. I'm glad you brought that up. So it's and and uh, I have two buildings. I've got another one uh, across from uh, the uh, Port of Wines on uh, Clyde and Birmingham Street. So it is also commercially zoned. It is not zoned commercially and for a hotel. So I can't do it in Birmingham Street, but I can do it on Cottage Street, which is zoned. So there are very few places in, in Halifax that you can do Airbnb. It's it because has, it's CM1 and the other one is CM2, correct? Yeah, it's, it's uh, uh, center, center 1 and Center 2. And it has to be Center 2 or on a corridor. Uh, so there's a whole bunch... Probably more than half of the commercially zoned properties on this uh, in the city. Still illegal. It's illegal. Wow. Yeah, and 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 when they were selling it to people, people didn't know that. Okay, and then what about? I know we briefly touched on this um, a couple weeks ago, but what about duplexes because or basement suites? Because I I see a lot of that question on like Facebook groups. People yeah. asking, hey, so I have um, a duplex or I have an ensuite in my basement. Yeah. I can still Airbnb that. So yeah. what? So you what can't. Are the regulations on so that? the regulations are if it's your personal residence, you can. Uh, and it was interesting during the the, the the Tuesday night debate that went to a, around eleven. Councillor Cuddle brought it up. She said, "It looks like if you have a basement apartment in your house." You cannot Airbnb that, which is true, but your tenant can. If and wait, why is that? Why? Because it's not your personal residence; it's a separate residence, which is okay. not your personal residence. Okay. So I think it's a lot very of people, picky. I think a, there's a lot of people out there who are under the impression that it's they're seeing that basement suite as in their personal residence. Um, but what if it no, has if it's, the if same it's, address? Like, what if it's uh, if it's a separate suite? So they've got they passed earlier in the fall. The, the registration of apartments rule, uh, which is another tragic piece of, of uh, uh, legislation they passed in the city. So uh, there are all sorts of illegal apartments in, in Halifax, and they've changed the zoning so that quite often it can be made, made legal again, but they have to be brought up to code. And code is different from when those buildings were built. One, one of the things you have to do if you've got a basement apartment that's not legal now is you got to install 36-inch doors in all the doors. Mm. And there's yeah. very few of those. You have to put fire code chiprock between floors. If that makes it below the National Building Code height limitation, you have to dig the basement down. So a lot of the cheap apartments have, we have now, the five, seven, eight hundred dollars ones, they're going to need to do sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars $80,000 worth of work to them to make them legal. And now there's, there's two guys that have been hired, two personnel to the city, to police that, to force oh, really? people to do that. And so, how are they doing that? Do they have a list of, like, the registration? Of yeah, the so this is, every so often, City of Halifax City Hall does what I call a Santa Claus move. <laughs> so Santa Claus, of course, is the guy who, on Christmas Eve, delivers all of the presents all around the world by going down people's chimneys in, in about a four- or five-hour period. And furthermore, he knows who's been naughty and nice. Okay. And so the city have hired two guys to do that. And in addition to doing all that work, uh, um, discovering uh, you're supposed to register your, your 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 apartments, which will create a lot of a lot of these ones that are not currently legal. And the um, the the problem with it is um, is two guys couldn't register 80 apartments. The other thing they have to do is they have to receive maintenance plans on all of those apartments that are sufficient enough to never have another building in Halifax need to be renovated to cause renovations. So you would need a 40, 
50 people to do that, and we've got two. Wow. So it won't work. Huh. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just to jump back to the question, um, just to make sure I understood. So if you have a house, there's an ensuite in the basement, yeah. um, and it has its own entrance, but yeah. it, I suppose it would be considered one address. Can you Airbnb that ensuite? No. No, and the reason is, is it, if it has its own kitchen and its own entrance and its own, if it's self-enclosed, it's a separate dwelling and it is not, it could not be your personal residence. So it has to be like your living area. You can Airbnb right. your own living area. Your own living area. Yeah. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So what, what that means is if you, there are some people who are lucky enough to have a nice cottage that they go to in the summer. Um, so you could Airbnb your house where you live normally. Yeah. And but so, you can't Airbnb your cottage if it's an HRM. Uh, you can because they there's a in, in most in most areas of HRM they allow uh, the renting of cottages sort of under the um, bed and breakfast rules. Okay. And so that was that's built in it. So it's again it's not a, it's not something that affects suburbanites. It's okay. affects or, or and if people are people. wondering more information. Do you happen to know where they can read the specific regulation on? that basement suite situation just because I know a lot of people are asking about this. Yeah, I, I think it's it, it's it's hidden it's hidden in the uh, it's hidden in the uh, in in the, in the documents that were published online. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, and then if they've got the patience it was discussed a number of times, a couple two or three times during that long debate that okay. night that they passed it. Yeah. I think and a lot of people are going to be pretty uh, upset to hear this. I think a lot of people are operating under the impression that it's a second unit in their in within their house, yeah. um, that they're like, no, like I'm fine, I'm fine. But yeah, no, it has to be your primary residence, and that that isn't, and and that sort of mirrors federal taxation rules, where if you have a basement suite in your house, then you know that portion of your house when you sell it is not exempt from the capital gain. You have to, uh, yeah. So that, that but th that that being said, the it'll be interesting to see uh, how effective they are in enforcing the Airbnb rules. Uh, um, uh, the very definition they have for short-term rentals is it, it seems to reflect that it's uh, permanently done or done all the time. So it doesn't specifically ban seasonal uh, Airbnb use. Mm -hmm. uh, I think uh, uh, I think the uh, it, it'll be tough to it, it'll be tough to regulate. You know, the loophole I see is is if you if you can allow the person who has the lease on your basement apartment to Airbnb, and they uh, allow you to manage that, you know, that'll be really hard for the police. Mm -hmm. Could you lease it to yourself? I don't think you can lease it to yourself, but everybody's got a brother or a cousin. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Can you lease it to a company? Uh, yeah, that's that's kind of what I meant. But I guess the company yeah. has to live there. I, I know, they, they yeah, the company there. couldn't live there. No. So it's... You know, okay. it, it's meant to. I'm uh, <laughs> trying to come up with solutions for everybody. <laughs> yeah, and then and then you know, you know, so whatever they do come up with, uh, you know, we have to follow it. So if they if they take exception to uh, your uh, uh, your use of that, then you know, you can always litigate it. And uh, and uh, um, there, there's there's a definition of uh, short term rentals that we could get up pretty quickly that has a real fundamental. Law. It, I think it's, it says that primarily used for, or mostly used for Airbnb or right. short-term rental. And if you're renting out eight months of the year to a long-term tenant, that's three, yeah. four. That's so the very definition the they have is problematic yeah. and uh, yeah, it would be subject to, uh, to litigation.
Yeah. I think, you know, people will fight it. It's not going to be a smooth transition. But I don't yeah. think it'd be a smooth transition. I know, there's tons of people out there with like 30, 40 rentals. Like that's their bread. Like that's their their business. Business. Yeah. Like that's yeah. their bread and butter. Like that's how they're putting. So the scary thing is, uh, is you know, we, we don't have a great tourism department in Nova Scotia. It got worse when they moved them all out to Windsor. Um, but uh, I looked and looked and looked and to see what was the what was the average contribution from a tourist who comes here in the oh, summer. Yeah. And uh, and I found a statistic, a statistic on their website finally that said 16% is what the typical tourist spends uh, on accommodations when they come to Halifax in high season. So so if you have an Airbnb that brings in uh, 5000 a month, which would be a common summer uh, 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 gross, uh, then that supports uh, a, a tourism spend by, by tourists of around 30000 a month. Mm-hmm. So every every Airbnb, particularly the seasonal ones that that are going to be empty anyway, um, is going to do a big hit to, to the Halifax economy, and yeah. and they so didn't consider that at all. They're not that tourist isn't coming. They're not staying somewhere, so they're not coming to spend money on food, spending money on events, entertainment, yeah. um, travel, taking tours, doing like fishing tours, like going to Peggy's Cove or. Yeah, and if if you, uh, so around the time of the hearings, I looked up what it costs to rent, what, what is really a, probably a two-and-a-half-star room at the Atlantic Hotel, uh, you know, kind of a small room. And in August, you can rent you can rent them for 480 bucks a night. Mm-hmm. So a typical Airbnb uh, price for a nice little apartment, you, you know, would be closer to $200 a night. Yeah. So what we're seeing is 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 this is this increase in costs for tourists to come here, and a lot of them will just not come. And similar to the idea earlier when we talked about how the Mumford redevelopment, a lot of the proceeds from that are going to go to people outside of the province. Yeah, a lot of people that own these hotels, they aren't local companies. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. So uh, uh, I think 75 percent of the hotels in Halifax are controlled by Starwood. Starwood is is an American company that's controlled out of a city in Connecticut, and uh, six or seven years ago, those guys almost sold all of Starwood to a China, Chinese company. So, so we just we just shut down hundreds of little entrepreneurs, local entrepreneurs, local entrepreneurs, and if they succeed in Connecticut, they're going to sell all that good China no, to China. No, China, yeah. And then uh, we were discussing this. What else is the Atlantica Hotel doing? Uh, yeah, Atlantica <laughs> Hotel is is got a bunch of floors with uh, with refugees in it living there, which you know trying to get them integrated into our society, yeah. which is fantastic. That's good. Yeah. But how much is the government? How much is uh, the government paying for that? As much as ten thousand a month for for housing those just for one for, for one, one family living in one unit. Yeah, uh, they spread them out to a couple units. Okay. okay. Yeah, they can't fit all in one. Wait, yeah. so 10000 so for the floor, 10000 a month for... No, 10000 for each family. For each family to yeah. live in one hotel room? No, in a couple of hotels. Okay, so across like two or three. Yeah. Two or three. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, the, okay. Uh, so what we have now is we have a terrible problem with, uh, with shortage of housing. Yeah. It's a crisis, and, and it's a good thing because we need immigrants to come. We all, when, you know, you go through a fast food joint now, and, and it's somebody not oh from there. Oh, my God. Here. I... Have been. I have a property in Antigonish, and I was having an extremely hard time finding someone to come do some maintenance on the property. Went through like two people, and it was a pretty basic job. Like, it was just like fixing a toilet. Um, 
and for example, like I messaged someone, it's like, hey, like I think the toilet needs to be replaced. How much is it? One guy was like, oh, someone charges me. Typical company charges thousand. I'll try to do five hundred. I was like, oh, I think that's a lot. Yeah. Got a quote from another guy. He's like, yeah, I'll do it for eighty, but you have to bring the toilet and take it away. I was like, well, it's not very useful for me. And yeah. then I. I saw a post on Facebook from, I think it was a Ukraine family saying like, hey, like we're new to town, we are happy to work, we're looking for more clients, we can do any job around the house, this and that, message them, and they're like, yep, yeah, we got it, we'll take care of it, we'll show up tonight at 8 p.m., and they got it done on a Sunday at 8 p.m., and they're like, here's the bill, and it was a very, like, a modest bill, and I was like, this yeah. is great, like, yeah. we need, we need, need people to do, like, we need more of this. That's right, yeah. It's so difficult to find. Yeah, and it's great. It's great to see Halifax as a as a new uh, a new spirit, a new yeah, things that are happening sure. here. Yeah. Lots of building going on. Oh, we need we need housing for them. We need yeah, housing we need, for them. We yeah, need, we need, them we need housing for them. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, twenty thousand people a year coming and three thousand apartments being built is not. Is enough. that what it is now? Twenty thousand a yes. year. Because I know it was ten thousand. No, it's up to twenty. It's up to twenty thousand. That's what I've heard. Yeah. And that's why people are like, people are upset about the housing situation here, and it's like, well, if you put 10 to now 20,000 people yeah. a year in, in Halifax or Nova Scotia? In, into Nova Scotia, but primarily Halifax. Prim yeah, primarily yeah. Halifax. Yeah. And our population was around like just under half a million. Yeah. Um, so that's whatever. Yeah, and then, and then to get back to the homelessness problem, so three or four weeks ago, the mayor who I like, who's a good guy, got up in, in council and said, we have to approve more camping spots in our parks for the homeless. <laughs> and I thought... You know, oh my goodness. So is the solution is all we can come up with is you is you can go to Canadian Tire with your 70 bucks and buy a little pup tent and go to a park. And maybe if you've got enough money, put a tarp over it so you don't get wet when it rains. And so fix the housing crisis. Yeah. So when there was when there was a when there was a, an earthquake in Haiti a number of years ago, my friend covered it. One of my friends covered it. He was a journalist. And so we sent two frigates from Halifax. And they had a bunch of army tents and the guys with submachine guns, latrine kits, and they set up 10 villages and they made sure they were safe. And so if from Halifax, we can go all the way to Haiti and do this, why can't we do it here? Yeah. Why can't we do a better job? And the other thing here is that, like personal opinion, um, and also like from research is that in terms of homelessness, like a lot of it, like it's mostly mental health. Like, for example, I was walking down Quimpool the other day walk by a person who appeared to be homeless. They were sitting on the ground. They had, like, a, um, a cup out for change, and they had a blanket around them, and they had someone clearly given them food from one of the restaurants. But the food was there, uneaten, yeah. which is, like, maybe they're saving, I don't know. But they're smoking weed. Like, it's just, like, it's crazy yeah. because you can literally see the choice between, like, sustenance and an addiction. Yeah. Uh, like uh, anyway, that's yeah, and then and then how you treat your 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 most vulnerable people in your uh, society is is important. So the uh, there's a there's a guy who does a lot of podcasts that I really like. His name is Malcolm Gladwell, and he did a he did a, a podcast on uh, a, a fellow in Colorado somewhere, maybe Boulder, and and maybe his name was Good Time Charlie or something, and he was a street guy who was really really well liked. Oh, I think I know this story. Yeah, yeah. and and so he goes to to this high-end town, and he goes, well, I guess the, the, the start of the story was he eventually passed away, and there were two ambulance drivers who, uh, um, ambulance attendants, ambulance, ambulance uh, operators, 
who uh, asked the, the, the hospital, how much did we spend on Good Time Charlie for the last year of his life? Because he was constantly getting pneumonia, and he was getting sick, and yeah. and it was $1.6 million. Yeah. And uh, so Malcolm Gladwell went to the most expensive hotel in the town and said, if I want your best suite, what is it? And they said, oh, it's this one. It's got, uh, it's got a kitchen. It's got two separate bedrooms and uh, a hot tub and this and that. And I said, and two meals a day, how much is it going to cost me a year? And they said, well, that'd be, that'd be around $350,000. So rather than leave this guy out on the street getting wet and getting sick, yeah. uh, if, they'd, if they'd housed him, they would have saved all that money. Now, I'm not saying that we need to take these people off the street and spend 350000 on them, but that's what we're doing when they yeah. get sick. I think I, I have read quite a few Malcolm Gladwell's books. I think I might have read that story. Or I might have read something really, really similar. Um, it might have been in Las Vegas, though. Maybe it was Las Vegas, I think yeah. Have, yeah, then it's the same one. Yeah. Exactly. It's just yeah. crazy to... Yeah. And a lot of people, what I've read, um, to what I understand about it, is it's chronic homelessness. It's like the 80-20 rule. It's like the 80% yeah. of the homeless, they are the ones who are causing the largest impact on like our healthcare system, like our mental yeah. health system. Um, so if we took care of that chronic 80%, it would be a huge relief in terms of the, the financial cost of it. Yeah. So, uh, and like you yeah. said, like, like a really cool thing that they pointed out in his book, or it might've been another study that I was reading. Um, basically if you were to assign someone to effectively like supervise and care for someone who's homeless and kind of give them like, um, almost like a, like a motherly figure, someone just like gen- generally looking out for them in a place to live. Um, it, it drastically helps their situation. Does. Um, yeah. it's just like having someone look after them, having someone check in on them. Um, it's not even so much as like a lot of the other things we talk about. It's not, it's not like giving them money. It's like, that's not going to fix it. No. Basically, if you give them someone a purpose, um, yeah, it all starts with housing. If you've got a good house. Yeah. A good safe place to live, then yeah. a lot of things get better for you. You can, you can get your confidence up. You can get a job. You can, yeah, yeah, you, you can just, get back in the in the in the in the game. So, uh, yeah. So anyway, you know the the, the uh, you know like I said before, what we're supposed to do is tax rich people to provide for people who have, are of less advantage, and hoping that somehow the developers are going to do it. The rich people are clever enough to figure out how to not pay tax. Often, often it's like the middle class that are paying the highest taxes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That we could have another whole yeah. thing on that. Yeah. Which yeah. I'd like to at some point. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great uh, conversation. Uh, yeah, what we should do is we should have a session on uh, on real estate accounting and real estate taxation. Yeah. yeah. Please. Yeah. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think, Manny? Yeah, that's great. No, I, uh, this yeah. has been a great conversation. No, no, this, yeah. this is it's good awesome fun talking stuff. to you. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I think we're running right in the time yeah, on time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I'll probably be a two-parter. <laughs> this might be a two-parter. Good. Um, and then there might be a part three about real estate yeah. taxes. Uh, yeah. No, it's yeah. great. Uh, it's great uh, meeting you two. And uh, yeah, you guys are building building Halifax for the future, which is what we need. Absolutely. We're trying our best. Yeah. yeah. No. Thanks so much. Like I've known Andrew for almost a year now, and yeah, you've done some great things in Halifax, and you've got some great stories to share, and yeah, tons of information to. Share and that's what we're we're here today just to share with our listeners um, some of the things uh, that I don't know we want people to know and help understand and maybe educate yourselves on real estate in Halifax and yeah. yeah.
anybody that listens to our podcast, all five people, <laughs> if they uh, if they want to reach out to you, is there is there a means? Yeah, you can find me on the internet quick enough. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay, just Google Andrew Murphy. <laughs> yeah. Find you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Andrew the accountant. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Okay, Roy. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Okay, yeah. thanks.